0: So, I received uh, some news this week. Maybe you've heard of this as well. Someone informed me that the president is going to reboot the dollar. Does anyone have any idea what that means? (laughs) Me neither. Me neither. So, because I didn't know, and because I'm such an open minded individual, open to the possibility that this was a good thing, I asked the question what does this mean that the president is going to reboot the dollar? And this person said something that uh, I will never forget. He said, I don't know what it means but I do know that it's good. And I began to laugh very loud, as maybe you would if you heard that. I don't know what it means, but I do know that it's good. We may hear something like that and chuckle and laugh and uh, laugh it off as uh, some silly way to quickly adopt some idea or economic theory without any deep understanding of the truth, uh, but it, it's, it's a wonder to me, and it's an assumption for me, that many of us approach the gospel and its impact uh, with a similar approach, a similar attitude, with a similar mentality. L- let me give you an example right from the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. The truth that Paul is telling the Roman Christians is this. Because of their union with Christ in his death, because of their union with Christ in his death, they have been set free from the law. And by implication, understanding that the word of God is timeless... And this says something very specific to us even today. By the nature of our union with Christ in his death, we too have been freed from the law. Do you know what that means? Do you understand the profound implications of that truth? Do you know what makes this so good? Have you understand or understood or contemplated the reason, the purposes behind such a freedom that Christ has given us in his death? Or do you echo the words? I don't know what it means. ...that we've been set free from the law. But I know that it's good. Today it's my hope that we can interact with a gospel truth... ...that has deep and profound meaning... ...that we may not understand, given our context... ...and given the separation from the law... ...never having lived under the law, at least the Mosaic law as we understand it. We hear a truth like that, and we know that it's good... But we may not necessarily understand why it is good or what purposes are behind it. Or we may not necessarily understand the meaning of such a truth. And so I want you to turn with me to Romans 7, 1 through 6. Romans 7, 1 through 6. We're going to be looking at this short passage and diving in and trying to see uh, the meaning of this reality that we have indeed through union with Christ been set free from the law. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans. He says, verse 1, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, She is not called an adulteress. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, Our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Growing up, there were a collection of dad-isms, and what I mean by that were these short, pithy, cliche-type sayings that my father would say often. If you know his first name, you might call him Dave-isms, okay? Uh, He's not here this morning, and he's probably so glad, so he'd not be embarrassed by the things that I'm about to say. But recently, I was reminded of a dadism. Okay, so, r- raise your hand if you're praising God that tax day has come and gone. Yeah, April 15th, right? It has come, it has gone. But I was reminded of, uh, of one of my father's cliche sayings. He would say, like, if, if someone would tell him to do something or if, if some expectation was laid on him, he would say, listen, the only thing I've got to do Is work, pay taxes, and die. That's all I got to do, pal. The only thing I got to do is work, pay taxes, and die. You see, I felt the weight of that this week. I know some of you as well, with the crunch time coming, tax day coming before us, we come to the realization that this is just a non negotiable reality in our lives, right? We have to do it, we're bound to it. By implication, my father was saying that, listen, until I die, I'm going to be working and paying taxes, right? The only way I'm getting out of this, the only way that this, uh, uh, this expectation, this obligation is going to be broken, uh, work and taxes, is if I die. That is my only hope uh, to, to escape these realities is to die. So from his perspective, while he was alive, he was bound to those things and the law. That's what Paul is getting at here in the beginning. He's saying, uh, verse, in the beginning couple of verses, he's saying that while we live under the law, we are bound to the law. And he's writing to people who are aware of this. Verse 1 says, or Do you not know brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. See, Paul is writing to people who understand the binding nature of the law, and that this binding nature is something that, they, that is inescapable as long as they live. It was generally known that when someone was alive, when they were living under the purview and the authority of the law, that they were bound to the law. They didn't have a choice in that regard. It was non negotiable. They were bound to it. And the law that he's speaking about here is specifically the law of Moses, right? The law of Moses, the, the revealed will, the way of the Lord that he gave to his people. Specifically, his his revelation of himself, who he is, his nature, what he expects. His laws, his commands. He gave this to Israel through his servant Moses. And it was a binding covenant. They were bound to the law. There was no escape. They could not uh, get out of it. The terms were uh, binding and inescapable. It was a covenant. And it defined their lives and their existence And their relationship with him. And it was simple. If they obeyed. If they were faithful. This covenant would bring about great blessing. And life to these people. And if they were not. If they were disobedient. If they were unfaithful to this binding law. That they would suffer the cursing. And the consequences. Namely, ultimately death. Separation from their God who had redeemed them from Egypt. These people were bound to the law. They lived under the law and they were bound to the law. These people understood the binding nature of the law. But Paul's not only writing to uh, uh, Christians who were Jewish. He was writing to Christians who were also Uh, non-jewish or gentile and so he begins to illustrate the binding nature of the law in an an area of life that anyone would have understood and that is a marriage relationship a covenant relationship the binding nature of a marriage that while you are alive or while your spouse is alive you are bound to this legal uh, binding relationship In a marriage. He goes on to say a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Right? So that's where we get this idea of of the vows, right? For as long as we both shall what? Live. This is binding. As long as we both shall live. Right? We understand this. Now, again... 2018, this may, there may be a little bit of a disconnect, as one author pointed out that nowadays you'll even see the vows changing to as long as we both shall love. Isn't that interesting? So these, these commitments, this covenant is only binding as long as we both shall love, rather than as long as we both shall live. The days are changing, if you will, and have been changing for quite some time. But that's out of step with what these people would have understood and out of step with the nature of God's law, especially related to a marriage. A marriage commitment is a lifelong one. It is a binding one. It is a covenant. And, uh, uh, and it is to death do us part. And to ignore that, to put that aside or to rebel against Such a law would put a person in a place of disobedience. And that's what we see he's saying that if she does uh, not honor these vows and she lives with another man, that the law condemns her as an adulteress, right? She's a law breaker, right? So that is what is being illustrated here with this marriage idea is that whether Jew or Gentile, they understood that a marriage relationship was lifelong. The covenant was binding. The only way out of such a covenant and commitment was death. And I know some of you even now affected by the reality of divorce and separation in the sinful world in which we live, you're starting to wrestle with this illustration I'm sure your family, or maybe even your own home, has been affected by uh, divorce and separation and the breaking and severing of relationship. And I want to be very clear here that this particular passage is not necessarily or overtly getting at, uh, was my divorce biblical or warranted? Was my separation biblical or warranted? That's not what Paul's purpose is here. That's not the point of it what he's trying to illustrate because I want to be careful that we don't get lost in the illustration and not and therefore miss out on the powerful gospel realities that Paul is trying to convey to the people here. I don't want you to get lost in the illustration because of the mess and the and the difficulties of living in this world and the sin that has existed in your marriage and I don't want to be insensitive to the, to, the, to the things that you faced with your spouse. That, I know that that's been real for you. But please, Paul is not specifically in his purpose going after biblical rationale for divorce and remarriage and all that. That's not what Paul's getting at. He's simply saying that the marriage relationship is a binding relationship. It is a lawful uh, commitment that you are bound to until you die. And that's what it is. And so the only way to escape, the only way to be set free from this binding covenant is death. 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 And so that's what Paul's purpose is. So don't get lost in the illustration. And I'm not just casting aside. You want to talk about those things? Please, set up a meeting. We'll talk about it. And other texts, will address those things head on. But here, Paul is trying to convey something uh, quite different. And I also want to just recognize here that while Paul may be writing to people that have an awareness of the binding nature of the law, uh, some of you here may not really have an awareness of that. We're so far separated from the Mosaic law. Right? 2,000 years since Christ came. Uh, I'm not certain anybody here has a Jewish background. And so again, you may hear we've been set free from the law, but you may not really understand the depth of that meaning. It's it's far from you. You may not understand this at all. You actually may not understand the depth of the problem that you face apart from Christ. You know, I often wonder, why doesn't the truth of the gospel register in my heart and in my life, to the degree that it should. You ever wonder that? I hear something, but it doesn't register. It doesn't inspire any action. I actually don't even feel compelled to praise and worship God or to thank Him. You ever feel that? You ever ever, ever wrestle with that? Oftentimes I think about this. Why does this not register in my own heart? I think oftentimes the powerful gospel and the truth of the gospel doesn't register because we don't really understand the depth of the problem that we've been saved from. We don't really understand the tragedy that we live in. The depth and the distance that our sin has created and that the law reveals. We say we're free from the law. We don't understand the binding nature of the law. So how would we celebrate This freedom from the law when we do not understand the bondage that we're in. So let me be clear. For all those who have not been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you live under the authority of the law and God's revealed character in it. You are bound to the law. You are bound to keep the law all of its commands and obligations, you are bound. That is an inescapable reality. And when you come to grips with the fact that you have not kept the law, you are bound to the curses and consequences of the law of God. Some of you have maybe never heard that before. And you're beginning to feel uncomfortable. And you should be uncomfortable. See, again, we don't understand the depth of the problem, so we don't understand the height of the joy in the gospel. But understand this, apart from God, you are accountable to keeping the law. And when you realize that you have not kept the law in any way, shape, or form, that you are now bound to the consequences of the law, the curses, namely, death. You are called to be perfectly obedient To every stipulation of the law. You are now bound to all the eternal curses and consequences. Because of your inability and unwillingness to faithfully keep the law. The whole world is accountable to God. No one escapes that reality. Without death. No one escapes that reality. Without death. I want you to hear that. You say I don't know. We'll go back into Romans chapter 3. Right? this very long section that Paul just keeps hitting at home, that the depth of the issue, that it's universal, it's comprehensive, no one is out of the realm of this reality or authority. He says, now we know that whatever the law, there it is again, says it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. You say, not my mouth. Every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. That means have righteousness. No one will obtain the declaration of righteousness in the sight of God. No one will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What I'm trying to tell you here today is apart from a death and apart from God's work in your life, apart from faith in Jesus Christ You are bound to the law, and you are bound to the consequences of the law. The whole world is accountable to God. Every mouth, every defense that you might have in your heart, in the presence of a holy God as revealed in the law, every defense that you might conjure up, it's silenced in the presence of a holy God. You're bound to it. It's inescapable. You can't just pick another god of your own choosing that suits your lifestyle. You can't just join another religious party or move to another country that is outside the sovereign control of God. You are stuck under his inescapable righteous law. You are stuck in your only escape from the weight of that is death. You should feel the weight of this. You should know that these realities are very personal, not theoretical. We're not just doing religious talk here. This is about your heart before God. And when we talk about the world in which we live and the people in this community, we're not just talking about theories here. We're talking about eternal destinies. We're talking about the souls of men, women, and children who are accountable to God, who are bound to the law and all the consequences of the law. This is a big deal. This is the only deal that we face. That apart from Christ, we're bound and we're broken. Can we just humbly confess that. Apart from Christ, we're bound, we're broken, we're stuck. You feel that today? Or have you felt that? You're bound. You're broken. Your only escape is death. Death is required for escape. And herein lies the wonderful truth of the gospel. A death has occurred. You get, you're bound to the law. Until death. But here's the wonderful truth of the gospel. A death has occurred. While you may be overwhelmed and uncomfortable, and you should be. You should not be hopeless. You should not be hopeless. Because while death is required, death has been provided. In the person of Jesus Christ. You see, he goes on to talk about a death. That has occurred. He talks about a death. He says, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. That Christ has died. We just went through the Easter season and Good Friday and we meditated on and celebrated. And it felt kind of weird and morbid and twisted. And even now as we talk about this hope, and immediately now we're talking about death as the source of hope. It feels a little awkward. It feels a little weird. But understand this, because a death was required, a death has been provided in Jesus Christ. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into the world. And guess what? He lived perfect and faithful in reference to the law. He was unlike us in that sense. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He obeyed the Father perfectly. And then he offered himself as the fulfillment of the law and its sacrificial requirements his blood was spilled and shed for sinners and he gave himself and he died for us that is the wonderful truth of the gospel that a death was required and a death was provided in Jesus Christ Christ has died and his death is foundational To all freedom from bondage. So, if you're feeling the weight and bondage and feeling stuck in your sin and the consequences that come from that sin, see freedom in the death of Jesus. That Christ's death sets us free, He died for you. That is the gospel. There's a lot of confusion about what the gospel is. It's this. Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. But guess what? Not only did he die, but look at what he says. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died. You have also died. We've been emphasizing this the last couple of weeks. That yes, the gospel is that Christ has died for us. But we also understand that all the benefits and blessings of the gospel come to us because we have been united to Him. Right? We have also died with Him. Yes, Christ died for us once for all. But the blessings of that, the application of that comes as we are united to Him. Disunited with the law and united with him in his death. You have also died to the law. You who have trusted in Christ. Who died for you. You have also died to the law. So while a death was required. A death was affected. You died to the law. That is the nature of the gospel. Through our union with Christ. You died through your union with Christ who died. Right? Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him by baptism into death. The good news that Christ died. Has secured for us. Is a death. You got to hear that. When Christ calls a man. He bids him come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A death has occurred. Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. So your faith in him. Is your union. To him. In his death. That's the nature of. Of the gospel. You are no longer bound to the law. Right? That's what he's saying. Because we have died with Christ, we are set free from the law. And what that means is, you're set free from the binding obligations of the law. Did you hear that? You're set free from the binding obligations of the Mosaic law. The law that you were once bound to because you lived under it. You no longer live under the law because you have died to the law. You are set free from all the obligations of the law. And I know so many of us, while we continue to hear that, we've heard that Christ did it for us, and now we're set free from the law. We continue to struggle with this works-based performance posture toward God, and we continue to come to grips with the fact that even this side of heaven, while we've been saved... We struggle with sin. It's present in our lives. We fall short and we keep thinking that we have to do better. We have to try harder. We keep falling short. We feel the weight of our own inadequacy and our own failures and sins. We think God's mad at us. that We're just lawbreakers. That man, we can never get enough of hearing this. You're no longer under the law. That's not the means, the system, the covenant by which you relate to God in the hopes of righteousness. You're in a whole different framework. You died to the law. You're released from the law. You're no longer subject to its binding obligation. And therefore you are free from the guilty condemnation, the curses and the consequences that come for our inability and unwillingness to obey. We're free from that. You do not need to expect a judgment from God. Man, I don't know about you, but 30 years a Christian, sometimes that can get blah. Because I forget. You are no longer facing judgment from God, but an expectation of approval and acceptance and eternal life and paradise with Jesus. Upon your passing from this life into the next. Don't allow those realities to become blah. And get so excited about the new iPhone. And the new 80 inch TV. And the new vacation that you're on. You've been set free from the law. And the consequences that come. From your lack of faithfulness to it. And God now accepts you fully in Jesus Christ. If you're bored with that. I got nothing else for you. I got nothing. you're free, you're set free from the law because of your union with Christ in his death. What freedom that is. But understand this, being set free from the law does not mean we are led into lawlessness, right? I think Paul's been emphasizing that. See, when we hear freedom, we hear do whatever you want. Don't got to do anything, right? I can call my own shots. I can live autonomously. And grace and the freedom is cheapened. It's cheapened. It's not in keeping with the purposes of why Christ is setting us free from the law. Not so that we can do whatever we want. Not so that we can live a life of temporal and momentary pleasure. Giving to ourselves to the passions that once controlled us. Verse 5. That's the flesh under the law. No, no, no. We're not called to lawlessness. We're set free from the law. Amen. But I love what John Calvin says in his commentary on Romans. He says, we ought carefully to remember that this is not a release from the righteousness which is taught in the law. You got to hear that. This is not a release from the righteousness which is taught in the law but from its rigid requirements, amen, and from the curse, amen, which thence follows. No, no, no. You see, Paul is anticipating in these chapters that this freedom from the law and this new life in Christ is an opportunity to just live any way that you want and do whatever pleases you in the moment. That it's a license for sin. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Yay! Yay! No, by no means, by no means. So being set free from the law does not give us the license to live a life of unrighteousness. So what is the purpose of this release? And we'll try to wrap it up here. I love what one person I overheard say at one point is freedom Without purpose, feels like a whole lot of boredom, right? Kids are getting excited about summer vacation, free from school, and no obligations, leads to a lot of video games and TV, and you know, sleeping in. And then all of a sudden, like five days into vacation, you hear this: "Man, this is boring. I'm bored. We don't do anything. Man, when are we when are we when are we going?" When we go into a water safari, this is boring. Right? Like, you get all this boredom. Freedom, without purpose, feels like a whole lot of boredom. So you know you've been set free from the law. You claim that truth this morning. Those who trust in Christ. Those who have been united to Him in His death and resurrection. But maybe you don't understand why God would do that. And just to be a little vulnerable for a moment... There are often times where I find myself asking that question. I recognize that God has been gracious in my life. God has plucked me out of many perils. And God has protected me in ways, according to His grace, that I did not understand or deserve. Okay, Some of you may be feeling that. But have you ever just found yourself, as you, as you consider God's grace, Just saying, why? Why would God do this? Again, you recognize the depth of your sin and you're contemplating the heights of God's mercy and you're just, why? Why, God? Why would you do this? And oftentimes, I ask that question when I see so many people sadly go astray. Why me and not them? Why, Lord? And you never find yourself patting yourself on the back like, oh, I made the right call. No, no, no. That's not it. It's God's goodness and grace toward me, is the source of, the, of, of why, right? You see, God sets us free for a purpose, right? God releases us through Christ from the law purposefully, right? And here's what they are, what, what those purposes are, at least here. He goes on to say this, right? Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that... You may belong to another. Did you hear that? You once belonged to the law, but now you've died to the law so that, I want you to listen, this is the gem of the morning, if you will. So that you will belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. The purpose. Behind such freedom and release from the law is so that you might belong to Him. Freedom does not bring about autonomy. Freedom brings about another binding relationship. And man, for those of us who feel lost and abandoned, orphaned and confused, and don't know whose we are in this world. This is a wonderful gem of the gospel. That when Christ set you free from the binding nature of the law, he bound you to himself. You are his. That is your identity. That is your existence explained in a nutshell. I am Christ's. And I am bound to him. You have been set free from the law. Unshackled and unbound. So that you might belong to him. That is a wonderful gem to just begin to meditate upon. A joy unspeakable, a grace unimaginable, that once at enmity with God, once a lawbreaker, once the, uh, where my sins are the very sins that put Christ on the cross, now united to Him, bound to Him. Right? Right? Have you ever wondered at the end of Acts the shocking nature of that call, that invitation? Peter looks at all these people and he says, Yeah, you killed Jesus. He's the son of God. He's sitting on the throne. And oh, by the way, he's God's chosen son. You killed him. And all those people go, Oh, crap. What shall we do? Is there anything to be done about this? And you might think he's saying, run for your lives because you killed Jesus. Run for your lives or nothing. You can't do anything. Just enjoy this temporal existence and wait your imminent and impending doom. But what does he say? Repent. In this moment, you have this opportunity. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your rejection of Christ. And be baptized. Union with Christ. Every one of you. All of you who killed Christ. Repent. Turn from sin. Turn to God. And be united with the one you crucified. What a profound invitation. For sinners. It's radical. It's unfathomable. It doesn't make sense. And that's exactly what we see taking place. That Christ has now Claimed us as his own. You are his. He says you're mine. Come to me. You will be my people. It's this eternal transfer of ownership. You once belonged to the law. But now you belong to me. That's why Christ set you free. So that you would belong to him. What an awesome thing. I praise God for that simple truth. Freedom is not autonomy. It's for belonging to Christ. And here, maybe we say it this way. If you do not belong to Christ, you belong to the law. You need to hear that this morning. If you're looking for a third way, you will never find it. So embrace Christ. Repent. Be baptized. Every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. You belong to Christ. Second purpose, we're free to bear fruit for God. right? Why do we belong to Christ? In order that we may bear fruit for God. You used to live in the flesh, used to live in your sinful passions aroused by the law. Those sinful passions... We're at work in you to bear fruit for death. That's the fruit that was going to be born in your life. He's saying now that you belong to God, you are or to Christ, you will bear fruit for God. Right? John 15 was a thing I've immediately thought of. That there's this idea that union with Jesus is, is connected to bearing fruit for the Father. Right. What does he say in John 15, 5? I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. That's just union with Christ language. John style. Abide in me and I in you. Union with Christ in his death and resurrection. He's saying whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So why has God set you free from the law? So that you can belong to Jesus, and in belonging to Jesus, you might bear fruit for God. Understand this, that your existence is for the glory and the fame and the the obeying and the fruit that God wants. It's all about God. God sets you free for the glory of his name, that you might bear fruit that brings him glory, right? Right? This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The reason, the purpose, the result that God wants in redeeming you back to Himself, in setting you free from the law, and binding you to Christ, is that you might bear fruit for God, not for yourselves. And I look at our suburban spirituality that is so wrapped up in the things of this world. We're trying to bear fruit for our future. Set the stage for our, uh, our, our 60s, 70s and 80s. We're, as Piper says we can collect seashells in Florida. And totally miss out on the purpose of our redemption. We're so wrapped up in accumulating and enjoying and entertaining. It's all about us. It's all for us our future, our family, our enjoyment. No, Christ has not set you free ultimately for you. He set you free to bear fruit for His name. Is that the focus of your life? Do you wake up every day with a bear fruit for God mentality because you are bound to Christ? I think that's an important question for the suburban Christian who's enjoying all the benefits of American affluent culture and struggling, struggling to appropriate the joy of the gospel. Where is your life oriented toward? Bearing fruit for your future or bearing fruit for the Father because of your binding relationship to jesus christ the last purpose again to continue to emphasize that it's not about you it is about you i'm not trying to strip it of its joys but not its ultimate purpose is not for you okay listen to what he says but now we're released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that purpose result so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit It's about serving. You see, under the law, you would serve according to the written code. That's old covenant language. You see, in some ways, that's what's taking place. You're set free from the requirements of the old covenant that was never able to provide for you the righteousness required to be restored back to God. But now there is a new way that you serve, a new way that you relate to God. And it's according to the Spirit. It's according to the Spirit. And so even now, as we think about these things and the purpose behind it, that yes, we've been set free to be bound to Christ. Yes, we've been set free to bear fruit for God. Now we see we've been set free to serve in a completely new way. According to the Spirit. The promised Spirit. The promised spirit, God's very presence, who would live and dwell inside his people. Something that the old way, the written code, could not do and provide. The law revealed sin. The fact that you are incapable and unable to be faithful and to serve God. But through his death and resurrection and his pouring out of the spirit into his people God now lives inside of you and God has now brought a new covenant to his people a covenant in which he would write the law of God, there it is, the law he would write the law of God on the hearts of his people you put Ezekiel 36 he would put his spirit inside of to give them a new heart and a new spirit that a transforming work inside of us has taken place so that now we can serve in the spirit we can worship God in the spirit basically he is empowering faithfulness we no longer have to work and serve in a striving sense of Trying hard and failing miserably to do the right thing for maybe all the wrong motives. But now Christ is in us by his Spirit, and being released from the law, we're now able to serve in the Spirit. Able, willing, desiring to worship and obey and be faithful to God's righteousness. And all of His command. All of this, of course, is a work of grace. God's grace applied to the human heart to set us free from the law. Because we have died with Christ, we are set free from the law. Now you know it, least a little more what that means it means the shackles of the law sin and death are broken in your life it means the curses and the consequences of your unfaithfulness have been removed it means that you belong to christ it means that you are indwelled by the spirit and it means that now you are Able in the deepest part of who you are. You are able to bear fruit for God. To live according to the purpose that He has given to us. Now you know what this means. At least a little bit more. And I pray that you can also feel in the deepest part of you. That this is so, so good. I know what this means. And I know that it's good. Christ has set us free from the law. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I confess that every time I preach, I'm blown away by your grace. I'm blown away. By your purposes. You're plucking us out of darkness and bringing us into light. You're releasing us from the law and bringing us close, connected, in covenant fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And at the same time, I always sense, Lord, that we've barely scratched the surface. I pray that you would deepen. Our appreciation and knowledge of the glorious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ here today. If there's someone here today that is feeling their heart being pulled toward Christ, their mind renewed, and faith quickened in them, I pray, even if it's for the first time, that you would draw them near, that you would bring them to yourself, that they would know for sure that that they're set free, that they're yours, that your spirit lives in them, that their sins have been forgiven, that they would rejoice with us, even now for the first time, that they are indeed Christ's. Be glorified as we respond to your word. Christ's name.